Let's pray. Father, uh, you are indeed worthy of your name. God, uh, you are our king. Lord, as we pray, God, we just acknowledge you as king. Lord, you're the king above every other king. As we read today and as we look at an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar, God, and how he was consumed by pride, Lord, I pray that we may be humbled before our king. Our one true king, God, you. Lord, I am overwhelmed by the reality of who you are. God, I, I, can, only, I can only get a taste. God, I can only begin to just wrap my mind around what I, what I understand you to be. God, I, I just, I, I'm in complete awe. Lord, and I, I'm, I'm shaken to my core. God, what little bit I can understand and what, I look, what little bit I can know. God, just this tiny taste of your glory. God, and we stand in awe. Lord, I just pray that we continue to be in awe of who you are. And as we look at your word, God, I pray that we continue to be shaken to our core. God, we... We need to hear from you, Father. Father, we need you to speak to us, and we need to have our ears opened. God, we desperately need truth. God, I just pray that, God, you would speak truth into our lives right now. God, we give you the glory and the honor for everything that happens in our lives. God, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, so I pray that the overflow of our life, God, as you change our life through your power, I pray that. God, that is the praise that you receive. God, be worshipped now, Lord, as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing that I will uh, always do my best to do is to be real with you guys. Um. I need to be real with my youth pastor for just a minute. Um, Keith, there will be times in your ministry uh, where you won't have it in you, okay? Uh, you will come to church on a Sunday morning and you will think, I don't have it in me to preach today, okay? And to tell you what I believe God tells me on those days, and that is just go and talk to your people. There'll be days when you are exhausted uh, because you have stayed up all night um, praying for and mentally pouring yourself out for your people. Um, and you will feel like there's nothing left within you to be able to preach on a Sunday morning. Just talk to your people. Uh, today, I just want to talk to you for just a minute. Um, I want to tell you about what I've experienced, what I've seen. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3, and everybody knows about the fiery furnace. Everybody's ever been in any Sunday school class or ever been around a church knows about the fiery furnace. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody's heard this story, right? Um, they're in a foreign place. They've been taken into captivity. Captivity. They're in the Babylonian captivity, so they're 
way away from home. And I told you guys that I had a period of time when I was in Boston, Massachusetts, that I was way away from home. What we see in the book of Daniel over and over and over again, and I've told you this, is that we see the faithfulness of God. And no matter what the situation, we just see that God continues to be there and He continues to be faithful. And God continues to be who He always is, even no matter what the situation seems to be. God is just, He just is, you know. I, I, I want to tell you a little bit about our experience. So we went to Boston. Um, I want you to know that, that my daughter's cancer was very unique in that it was a it was called a primitive neuroectodermal tumor. It's just a fancy way of saying it was a tumor that was in her brain, but it was a soft tissue tumor. It wasn't supposed to be in her brain, and for it to be in her brain was a very rare thing, okay? So we believe that it probably started in her sinus cavity and worked its way back into her brain. That's what we suspect, right? So um, we had to do radiation, right? Everybody knows that radiation is where they put these beams on the cancer, and they just try to kill the cancer cell, with, with radiation. That's what they do. And, and I don't know if you realize this, but when you put these radiation beams on cells, it kills healthy cells as well as the cancer cells too, right? So when you put radiation beams on your brain, then that means it's going to kill some healthy brain cells as well as some cancer brain cells, right? So we heard about and we learned about because we did a lot of studying about a type of um, radiation therapy that was available in two different places in the United States and one place in Europe at the time. Um, it was called proton beam radiation therapy, right? Now, I want you to know that just recently they have broken ground in Birmingham, Alabama for a proton beam radiation therapy uh, clinic in Birmingham. But at the time, the only place to go would be to either for us to go to Boston or to go to, to Houston, to MD Anderson Hospital or Mass General Hospital in Boston uh, to receive proton beam radiation therapy. But that would be the best therapy for Kenneth because what it does is it, it goes in and then when the radiation beams get to the cancer cells, it goes to that point and then it stops. It doesn't continue to irradiate the rest of her brain and kill more brain cells. So we, we found out about it, we learned about it, and we said, man, we want to do that. If there's any way that we can give her the best possible chance of the best possible life, that's what we want to do. We want to we go for this proton beam radiation therapy. And I can tell you, it is not cheap, okay? It's not cheap. It, you have to get special permission from your insurance company to even apply and then when you apply, you have to send all of your records to a board at the hospital for them to review all of your records to see if you come into this program to receive Proton Beam, if you will actually have a good chance of, of having a positive outcome as a result of having received Proton Beam. So there are a lot of steps. And there is a huge financial burden associated with going for this proton beam radiation therapy. But we felt like, and we prayed about, said, God, we want to do this. We want to give Kenneth the best possible chance at a normal life. So we applied. We applied. The insurance company, 
gave us approval. Medical records sent to Mass General Hospital, the Board of Pediatric Cancer Specialists gave us approval. I want you to know that, that those are two major obstacles, great hurdles, but man, it, there's so much more than that. So much more than that. One of the things is that we got to be in Boston for like six weeks plus. And I don't know if you know what it's like to stay in Boston, but it costs like $300 a night at a minimum to stay at a hotel in Boston. Now that's with the hospital discount that you get to stay in Boston. We pray. And we beg God for direction. And we beg God to strengthen our faith. And I said, we're going. As the spiritual leader in our household, it was my call to make. What was God saying? I, I am to take the input of my wife and my family, absolutely. But as a spiritual leader in my household, I am to be, supposed to be seeking the face of God so that I can make the, the right decision for our family. And I said, I believe that we're supposed to go. And there were questions. But what about the fact that it's going to cost so much money, that there are going to be so many medical bills that will come in as a result of us going? Uh, you know, the insurance is not going to pay for everything. There could be $250,000 plus that will come in even after the insurance pays whatever they're going to pay. You know, it, it costs between a half a million to three quarters of a million dollars to have this treatment. There could be a quarter of a million dollars worth of bills that come in for us to pay. No, I believe that, that this is the direction God's leading us. But $300 a night for six weeks is a lot of money. They've had softball tournaments and, and they've taken up money for our family and, and that's great and wonderful, but $300 a night for six weeks is an awful lot of money. And that's just for a place to stay. I don't know if you've ever eaten in Boston, Massachusetts, but it's not cheap to eat there either. For a family of four to eat in Boston, Massachusetts, I mean, you're talking about $200 a day just to eat. No. No, I believe God wants us to go. But the obstacles are stacked against us. The obstacles are, are, are really stacked in the opposite direction. No. No, I, I, I believe God's calling us to this, and I have faith that this is what God has called us to. We went to Boston, Massachusetts. We got our plane tickets, and we went. We had to go two different times. Once was for consultation, and where they fit you for a mask that she had to wear, and they had to strap her down to a table so that she couldn't move while the radiation was being poured into her brain. And uh, I can tell you that that was a very traumatic experience. And we were not sure that she would even be able to tolerate her head being... They put a mask on you, a rigid mask on you, and they strap you down to a table so that you cannot move while they're beaming the radiation into your brain. And we were afraid she may not be able to tolerate that. I don't know many adults that could tolerate that, Okay. And we're asking an eight-year-old to handle this.
It didn't go well the first time when they made the mask and they put it on her the first time. It didn't go real well. I'll be honest with you, it didn't. No. I believe God... I believe God's going to take care of this. I believe God has got a plan. I believe God has told us that this is what we're supposed to do. And we're going to stay the course. We're going to stay the course because that's what I believe we're supposed to do. Well, we went back. And we started our proton beam radiation. And uh, the, uh, the people there fell in love with Kenneth. She's an awesome kid, man. She just was. She's my kid, but she was awesome. And I don't care if you judge me for saying that, but she was an awesome kid. And she had her Hannah Montana CDs that they would let her put in and listen to while uh, she was getting proton beam. Her head strapped down to that table. She got so comfortable. She got so comfortable going in there and laying down on that table, and they would strap her down laying there for 20 minutes completely strapped to that table while they did the proton beam we were just praising God he put her heart at ease and her mind at ease and she could lay there and handle that God's faithful okay alright I got it he's good he is good things are going well People are continuing to take up money and we're able to feed our family and we're able to continue to afford the hotel in Boston and, and things are going well. And uh, we get word that they are going to open up a, um, an apartment right behind the, the, the hospital that is going to be for families that are staying at the hospital to have proton beam therapy. Um, this apartment is going to be um, available to families probably sometime in the next six months, three to six months. They're going to have it open to family. We're thinking, man, that's going to be a great thing. They've only got one apartment. It'll only be for one family. But for people, I mean, there are tons of families that come from all over the country to come and have proton beam therapy there at Mass General Hospital, which is I mean, they call, it's called MGH, which they call themselves man's greatest hospital. And it's an amazing place to go and to be. And it's going to be amazing that they're going to have these, this apartment for families to, to live in while their, their kids are receiving proton beam radiation therapy. It's going to be amazing for them to have that for these families. So we hear about that. And they get a group of us families together and say, you know what, this apartment's going to come available in the next three to six months. And we want you guys, all, all of you guys to come, you know, there's, there's six or eight of us families. We want you to come and tour the apartment. It's not ready yet, but we just want you to tour the apartment to tell us what do we need in a, an apartment for a family that's going to be stuck here for six weeks. Can you help us, you know, identify some needs that we have, some things that we should add to the apartment you know, what should we make it to make it more, more childlike or childproof or all those kinds of things? So, okay, yeah. So us and about six or eight families, we get together and we say, okay, we're going to meet here at 2 o'clock. We walk over there and we tour the apartment. We all sit down and we chat in the apartment. And we got all the families are sitting around and we're talking and we're talking to the directors of this charitable organization. And, you know, we're, we're, um, we're hanging out and it's, we're giving them some ideas. And... Uh, we walk back to the proton beam therapy place where 
uh, all the families are going back to. And we had the, uh, the director follow us back. And uh, she said, can I see you for just a minute? Sure. She said, I, I appreciate you guys giving us your feedback on, you know, all the things that we needed to do for the apartment to get it ready. And I said, hey, man, we want, this is an amazing thing y'all are doing for people, and we want to help any way we can. And she said, well, um, I've talked to some of the directors, and uh, we would like for your family to be the first one to stay in the apartment. It's not completely ready yet, but uh, we talked, and uh, we want your family to be the first ones, if you're willing to go in there without it being completely finished yet. I couldn't do anything but cry. You think that the God is good, and then it turns out he's better than that. You think that God is faithful, and he's more faithful than that. You think that God is giving you a direction... And he says, of course, of course I did. I haven't left you. I haven't gone anywhere. I told you I would be here. All I'm doing is just showing you that I'm here. And the lady said, she said this to me. I kid you not. I've been paying $200 a night, right? We've been there probably a couple of weeks uh, staying at a hotel and she looks at me, she says, but I want you to know there is a cost associated with staying at the apartment. We're asking families to stay at the apartment to pay something to help contribute to our nonprofit organization if you're going to stay in this apartment. She said, can you afford $300 a month? Yes, ma'am. We can afford $300 a month. After $200 a night in a hotel, we can afford $300 a month. And I can remember uh, we moved our family in, and it's not like staying in a hotel. When you got an apartment, you can cook meals. <laughs> you wouldn't think that was a big deal, but to be able to cook meals and sit down on a couch and watch TV, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. We, we had bedrooms. They could read in their bedroom and we could watch movies in the living room and we had a kitchen that had milk in the refrigerator and we had a home for six weeks in Boston, Massachusetts because God gave it to us. I'm going to read to you from Daniel chapter 3. And then I'm going to tell you the rest of our story. If you're here today and you're wondering if God's real, if he's really that faithful, as we read this story from Daniel chapter 3, I want you to listen to God and not listen to me. I want you to open up your heart and open up your mind. Don't think that this is some flight of fancy and this is some kind of emotional experience. I just want you to listen to God. I just want you to listen to God.
These three young men have decided not to bow down to this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. When they play the, the horn, the flute, the zither, the, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, everybody in Babylon, in the province of Babylon, is supposed to bow down and worship this idol that the king has set up. Well, these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse to do that. So some of their peers bring them in front of the king and say, these guys are not bowing down and worshiping. And they say, we cannot do that. We can only worship one, and that is our one true God. And we will not bow down and worship anybody or anything or any other God besides our one true God. It makes Nebuchadnezzar furious. We pick up in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. If you believe in God, if your faith is in God, if you trust in God for your eternal security, I want to tell you the truth about something. This is a truth that you need to know. As you count the cost of becoming a follower of Jesus, there's something you need to know. The flames don't go away. There are still flames. There is still heartache. There are still tough times. There is still difficulties. There are times when you think that God should rescue you from a situation. And it appears that God is nowhere to be found. I want you to know that about being a Christ follower. It doesn't all of a sudden magically get so much better. And all of a sudden because you're a Christ follower now. It's like you're in the Garden of Eden and everything is perfect. That you have the perfect car, the perfect spouse, the perfect house. It doesn't work that way. There is still cancer. There is still death. There is still heartache and broken relationships. The flames don't go away just because you follow God. There are still flames and difficulties and struggles in your life even if you trust and believe in God. And that is what we see here. These three young men, what were they doing? They were faithful to God. They loved God and they were doing the thing that they knew to do and that was to worship God and God alone. And you don't worship anybody else besides the one true God and they knew that and they believed that and that's what they did. Surely the goodness of God that saw that would have mercy on them to say, you know what, I'm going to rescue you and you're not even going to get near that furnace. We're going to kill Nebuchadnezzar before he ever gives a command to throw you into the flames. Surely the goodness, that's what's going to happen. Three young men that are so faithful to God, surely he's going to rescue them out of that situation and there's going to be no flames. That's not what we see. We still see them being bound up by the strongest soldiers in Nebuchadnezzar's army. Them standing there looking at the flames and being thrown headlong into the furnace. 
The furnace has been heated up to seven times hotter than it normally would be. Surely to goodness God would have at least let it be as hot as it normally is. Now it's seven times hotter for them. You mean that, that, that God didn't somehow turn down the, the volume on it? No, it's, it's actually hotter. For these people that are, that are believers in God, the ones that are truly connected with God, it's actually hotter for them. It's not easier for them, it's worse for them. There's a wrong teaching out there. There's a bad teaching out there. And it's very prevalent in today's church environment that says that, you know what? All you got to do is believe in God, trust in God, and you can have your best life now. Your best life now. Then go get the book at Walmart. It's probably on the shelf. You know what? Your best life is not right now if you trust and have faith in God. Because there is still going to be flames. There's still going to be difficulties and broken relationships and trials and heartache and all that kind of stuff. Your best life is the one to come. When this life ends, that is your best life that you will ever have. It's called an eternal life. That is your best life. I want you to know that. I don't want you to believe for a second that I'm going to stand up here and tell you that all you got to do is believe in God and everything's going to work out and be okay. It's not. You know why I know it's not? Because my daughter died. My daughter died. She, did, she didn't make it. I can tell you the end of that story right now. She, she, didn't, she didn't make it. That, I prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to spare her life and you know, asked God that you know, she could live with us until we grew old. That didn't happen. The cancer took her life. The cancer took her from us, but only temporarily, but only temporarily. It's only for a little while. (laughs) We often ask ourselves, is it going to hurt this way forever? No, not forever. Not forever. Only for a little while. Only for a little while. You see, that's your best life. That's what it means to have your best life. It ain't got nothing to do with what kind of car you drive or the house you got or the job you got or how much money is in your banking account. It ain't got nothing to do with that. It's about your life that is to come, your eternal life. That is your best life. These three guys, they still got flames, flames that are seven times hotter. And they're devout followers of God. They get thrown into the flames. You will go into the flames sometimes. When trials come up, difficulties come up in your life, even as, even as a devout Christian, somebody that's really connected to God, you will still have flames and you will still go into the flames sometimes. But there's good news. Oh, there's such good news. There, there's such good news. Y'all know, y'all know the punchline here because you've heard the story before, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. But suddenly, verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar jumped in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up 
three men and throw them into the furnace? So he's a little confused. He's a little perplexed. People that don't have a relationship with God and they see some things that are of God, they get a little confused. He's a little confused. He's a little perplexed. So much so that he's jumping, you know. I mean, he's, he's scared a little bit. Yes, your majesty. We certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. You know what the good news about the flames, you know what the good news is? When you're somebody that's really connected with God, somebody that has put their faith and trust in God, somebody that has put all their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation, you know what the good news is? Is that as you walk through this life and as you go into the flames, you do not do it alone. You do not do it alone. We were not alone in Boston. We felt like we were foreigners in a strange place, but we were not alone. And time and time and time again, God just showed me, you're not alone. You're not alone. Sometimes people like to go on trips and they like to go to the beach so they can drink a beer. So they can feel like they're alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. I just want you to know that, that wherever you go, you're not alone. Now we want him there sometimes, but sometimes we try to run away so we can get alone. But let me tell you something. No matter where you go, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's so good. It's so good to know that as I walk through those difficult places in life where I'm standing there and I'm talking to the doctor about the fact that my daughter's probably not going to live very much longer and uh, that her spinal fluid is not moving from her brain to her spine any longer and there's a blockage there because there's another tumor that has formed there and that she can't talk anymore as a result of that and she doesn't open her eyes anymore as a result of that that I can hear him whisper into my ear and go, you're not alone. You're not making this decision alone. Do you remember when I talked to you about Boston and how you were supposed to go and how you had to make that decision? You didn't make that decision alone. And now as you make the decision to say, you know what, we're not going to put her through another surgery so that she can sit here and lay in a hospital bed for another three weeks and we can look at her, just breathe in and out. You're not alone in that decision. And the look on the intern's face when I said, you know what? We don't want to put her through another surgery just so we can sit here and watch her lay in a hospital bed. The look on their face when I said that the end is still coming. No matter what surgeries we put her through, we don't want to put her through another surgery if she's just going to die in a few weeks anyway. I could make that decision because I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. You'll have some difficult times as a Christ follower. No matter how much you love God and follow God and trust God and are faithful to God, you'll have some tough times, but you won't be alone. Some of you guys are trying to do it alone. You won't let down your selfish pride. You won't let your walls down enough. And therefore, you're trying to do it alone. 
and it's killing you. You know why it's killing you? It's because you don't have a hope for eternity. You, you, don't, you don't have that, that life that is to come. You don't have that security there. It's, it's eating you alive. You don't, you don't have it. You, you, you're trying to do it alone, and it, it's eating you alive. And you know it is. When you lay down at night and you close your eyes and you think about it, it's eating you alive. And the only thing that's keeping you from surrendering to Him is your pride. It is your pride. And your pride will kill you. And your pride will send you to hell separated to God from, separated from God forever. That's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. This, this isn't the gospel according to Kenny. This is a gospel according to God. Just read the book if you don't believe me. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothes was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher position in the province of Babylon. So I told you that I would tell you the rest of my story about Boston, Massachusetts and the proton being radiation therapy that Kenneth received. I told you that she passed away. I told you that she did not survive the cancer. We went on to have um, the proton beam therapy and I can tell you that the time we had in Boston was some of the best time that we ever had with Kenneth. I know now looking back that that time in Boston was not just for the proton beam radiation, but that was time that I had to be with Kenneth, and I got to be her dad, and I just got to spend devoted time with her. I really did. Had we been here... Uh, in Oxford, Alabama, not that it's a bad thing to have family and friends, not that it's a bad thing to be covered up with those people that love you because that's a great thing, but sometimes that distracts you from just being a dad and just getting one-on-one time with your kid. I got a lot of time. That six weeks, man, was so precious that I got to spend with her. And as I look back now, I didn't even realize that it wasn't even about the proton beam radiation therapy. It was really more about Boston than it was about the therapy. So, here's the thing. I told you that it cost somewhere between half a million and three quarters of a million dollars to have proton beam radiation therapy in Boston, Massachusetts. I told you how... 
we were spending $300 a night on a hotel room and, and how uh, they came to us and said, you've got a place to stay now. You can stay in an apartment where you guys will have a two-bedroom apartment and the cost will be $300 a month. I told you how God was faithful in that and how he gave us a place to live and took those expenses away. Well, let me tell you this. For that half a million to three-quarters of a million dollars where we expected to pay a quarter of a million dollars in order to be able to, for her to have that treatment. See, one of the things they do at in, in, in Mass General Hospital, because I really believe it is man's greatest hospital, is that they go above and beyond, okay? They really go the extra mile. You see all of these extra specialists. We went and we, we, we saw a, a growth specialist because we didn't want the, the radiation to stunt her growth. We went and saw a, a, an eye specialist because they wanted to make sure that it didn't affect the way that her vision progressed as she got older. So they had all these specialists that we went to see. Well, one of the things that we, we had the option to do when we went to see the eye specialist is they said, there's, there's this additional scan that we can do of her retina, but I want you to know that there's a cost associated with it. There's an additional cost associated, and we checked with your insurance, and it's going to cost $52 if we have this scan done. And I'm sitting here going, look, dude, we're going to pay probably a quarter of a million dollars when we get back home. $52, it's all right. Go ahead, charge us. You know, I mean, put it on my credit card. Here's the Visa card. $52, no big deal. Well, uh, we had the scan done. I got a bill and we got back home. $52, sure enough. All right, man, I'm just chuckling, you know, write them a check. $52, that's the first one, right? Send it in. Expecting check, uh, bill after bill after bill to come in. Do you know that that was the only bill I ever received from Mass General Hospital? I expected to receive over a quarter of a million dollars worth of bills that the insurance did not cover. I received one bill and it was for $52. And God was like, see, I was right there. You thought I wasn't there. I was right there. And I, I, not only do I believe in God, but I also believe that God has a sense of humor a little bit too. Because you know what? Um, he just wanted to reassure me a little bit more because about three weeks later, I got a refund check for $26 saying, hey, you paid too much of this $52. We're sending you back half of it. You paid too much. So out of a quarter of a million dollars I expected to pay, I paid $26. God's faithful. And he's there. And he's real. And I hope you know he's real. And I hope you know he can be trusted. And I hope you know that, that he's faithful to you even when you're not faithful to him. I hope that today, for those of you that don't know him, I hope that you'll put your faith in him. I, I'll, I'll get down here on my face and I'll beg for you. I'll, I'll beg God that he'll, he'll convict your heart in such a way that you'll just have to respond to him. I want you to have hope. I really do. I want you to have that kind of hope that I have. I, I really do want you to have that kind of confidence. I'm not talking about confidence in this life. I'm talking about confidence in a life to come that will not ever shake you. I want you to have that. I just do. Father, thank you, God, for being who you are.
God, you have spoken. Uh, the story that I've told is not my story, God. It's your story. God, it's your story. Um, Father, I know that there are people here. And uh, maybe some of them right now, are they're in a, a fiery furnace, God. Maybe they're in a difficult place. And maybe they're wondering if you're anywhere to be found. God, I pray that today your word is spoken to them in such a way that you have told them that you're right here, that you haven't gone anywhere, that you're right here. Uh, Lord, there's some people here and they don't know you, Father. I'm asking you to rescue them. Please. Please. I'm not asking you to rescue them from the flames of their difficulties, Father. I'm asking you to rescue them from the flames of hell, which is eternal. God, if they, if they don't turn to you, Father, if they, don't, if they don't give their lives to you, God, they're going to be separated from you. And, uh, Lord, that scares me. Please, Father, rescue them. If I can be used in any way, God, as, as, as a broken vessel, God, just some, some small way that I might be able to be used. To help them, God, I pray that you would show me that. I pray that they would come and talk to me. God, um, I just want them to be healed. God, I want them to be rescued from their sin and from themselves. God, please, please rescue them. For somebody here that's hurting today, God, they can't see you. God, I pray that they've seen you. I pray that their faith has been strengthened. Not by my story, but by your story. So God, as we respond to you now, be glorified in Jesus' name.